Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Thanks to everyone that helped uh, in the service today. Appreciate uh, all that you do behind the scenes and in, in front. Uh, well, I've officiated many funerals uh, since I've been in the ministry of, of all different sorts. Um, as a pastor, it's an honor to be able to uh, be with the family at, in, in difficult times. It's not necessarily joyous in that regard, but it's an honor. It's an honor, and I've had such great opportunity to minister to families. A couple of funny funeral-ish stories, not about the person that passed or anything like that, but I was doing a funeral um, for, and I knew there was a lot of people outside of the, the church realm, and we were at the little chapel area at the cemetery, and I wanted to close with the Lord's Prayer. And we had already done the service, and we get there, and I get up there to do the Lord's Prayer, and went totally blank. Nothing. As many, I mean, I had learned the Lord's Prayer as a child and said it a zillion times. I still say the Lord's Prayer uh, throughout the day at just different times to refocus. And I got up there and went completely blank. And of course, no one was going to start it because they were waiting for me. I mean, I couldn't even get the Our Father. That wasn't even coming to me. Finally, I don't know what, what happened uh, it finally came to me, and then it, then it went from there. Then I never know, depending on the setting, of whether to say, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses. I never know. So half the people say one thing, and half the people say another. Another funny thing, and, and I won't say who it was, but if I did, you would know she was in heaven laughing at this, because this fit her sense of humor. I was doing a funeral here at the church, and I was dressed in a suit and everything ready to go, but I had other things that I was working on. I was ready for the funeral, and I just, you know, and was on my phone and kind of lost track of what was going on that day and walked into the sanctuary and the side door and forgot the casket was here. And so I'm walking in like this, and I was like, <laughs> startled me, startled me, forgot all about it. And I thought to myself, getting a little bit of a ring here, uh, I thought to myself, she would love this. That was her sense of humor. One last time, uh, she made me laugh. But in funerals, it is uh, a privilege to be a part of that. Uh, for believers, I like to call it a solemn celebration. It's not silly. It's a solemn, but it's a celebration of a life well lived. Uh, I remember one, one funeral that I did for a lady and her niece wrote something on Facebook, something along the lines of, that was the happiest funeral I've ever been to. And I thought to myself, well, that's awesome because your aunt or whatever the relationship loved God and loved other people. That's pretty much what you want in life. She touched many lives. She lived a, a, a godly, good life. She loved God and loved other people. And it was a joyous celebration of a, wife, of a life well lived. Uh, for believers, that's not the ending point. It's the promise of eternal life. Uh, death is not defeated and life wins. But of all of the funerals that I've done, whether here at church or graveside or um, 
uh, at the uh, funeral home. Thank you. Just read what you have written. Just write everything down now. I used to be able to process this stuff. Anyway, uh, they've all ended pretty much the same way. The body was still in, in the casket and people left honoring that life and knowing that their life would be different from that point. But the story we're going to look at today was a funeral service unlike any other funeral service because Jesus showed up in a very, very powerful, powerful way. As Pastor Rowe read, we're looking at the story of Lazarus and uh, going to just make some points based on that. It's a familiar story that you know we're reading from John chapter 11. I, I won't go through the whole chapter. I'm going to skim through some of it. Uh, but this is another of my favorite passages. Now Jesus got word that his friend, friend Lazarus was sick. And the implication was, we need you to come and, and, and pray so that Lazarus could be healed. This was part of his, not inner circle of Jane, uh, John uh, and the other inner circle people. Peter, James, and John. Wow, I'm struggling today. Went well online. I would recommend you go watch the online service. It went a lot better than this. Phew. Um, not that, but they were close. They were followers of Jesus. And so he knew them well, and they were saying, if you come and pray, we've seen you do miracles. We know that you can heal Lazarus. And here's what Jesus does. What does he do? He just waits. He, he never moves. He just waits. And he waits. And he waits. By the time he goes to Bethany, and by the time he gets to, or Martha gets to him, uh, more literally, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Four days. And I remember studying this in Bible study, and we would say that he was dead dead in four days. I mean, he was dead dead. There was, this was a no-doubter uh, he had passed. And I think one of the reasons uh, that Jesus waited is because he wanted this to be a no-doubt remarkable miracle that many would believe. That many would believe. So Martha was the first one to greet Jesus. Of Mary and Martha, she seemed to be the one a little more forward a little more direct uh, in that. And so she goes out to Jesus and meets him as he's walking in. And she says, Lord, she addressed him with respect. But the next word is if. And then the next word is you. So I think there was a little bit of attitude going on there in that she was saying, Lord, if you, if you, We've all said that statement. We've asked the question why, and we've made the statement, if. If you had done this. Or we'll say, what if? What if Jesus had been there? What if this happens? Or sometimes we project out into the future our what ifs. Can I give you a, a, a way to have more peace in your life? It's very simple. Take out all the what ifs, and you will have more peace in your life. Well, what if gas prices go so high that I, I can't come to church? What if gas prices go so high I can't drive to work? What if the economy does this? What if that? What if my neighbor does this? What if the doctor says this? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? You will drive yourself crazy. Take out the what if and look at just what you know. Here's what I know. As of today, gas is expensive but I'm still able to put some in the tank. That's what I know. 
That's what I know, not the what if. If you take out the what ifs of your life, you will have much more peace in your life. Anyway, so she says, Lord, if you, then my brother would not have died. It, it's kind of like saying to Jesus without saying it, uh, uh, it this is kind of your fault, Jesus. This is kind of your fault. Because I know that it, it, God will do whatever you ask. And so it, it, if you had come, let's go a little further. If you had done things the way I wanted you to do things, then this would have never happened. Now, I know none of us do that here. I know. I mean, I, I know none of us do. But if you might do that sometimes, there's going to be some help for you today. So Jesus overlooks her accusations and responds with a promise. And he makes this bold statement. Your brother will rise again. Martha says in verse 24, yes, uh, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And here's where timing comes into play. And the title of the message today is God's perfect timing. It, it, the timing shows our limitations. She was in, at this place thinking later, but Jesus was thinking now, right? She was thinking, I know that in the last day uh, we will all be resurrected, we will all live again. That was later, but Jesus was thinking now. Now I'm going to teach you something very important today. How do you know whether Jesus is talking about now or later, Right? How do you know if the miracle is going to come now or the miracle is going to come later? Okay, I'm going to answer that for you. If the miracle happens now, it means now. And if the miracle happens later, it means later. Now, that, those are bold statements of faith. Because in our natural self, we would say, I want all miracles to happen now. I don't want to wait I want it to happen now. I want it to happen in my time and in my way. I want God to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. But Jesus has a different perspective on things. Sometimes the miracle is now and sometimes the miracle is later. And how do we know which is which? Well, if the miracle comes, then it's now. If it's later, then it's, then it's later. But can I give you some good news here? Is that the miracle will come. See, God will raise everyone who believes in him from the dead. We just want the miracles to happen now. Every disease will be healed. We want it now, and sometimes God does it now. And how do we know that it's going to be now? Well, when the miracle comes now, that's how we know. But the miracle will come whether it comes now or whether it comes later. And these are great statements of faith that we have to be able to reconcile that I want it now, but I'll trust you, Lord, if what's best is later. I'll trust you, Lord. See? And so whether the miracle happens on earth, which we believe still happens, we believe in miracles. We believe in answered prayer. This isn't a, a, a resignation to uh, you know, things are already determined. No, we believe in prayer and we should pray for healing. Jesus commanded it. Uh, Paul, all the apostles displayed it. And the early church in the book of James demanded it. If there are any sick among you, call for the elders to anoint you with oil and you will be healed. Healing has never stopped. It's just getting that idea of whether it's now or whether it's later. We should pray for now. 
but we should still trust him if it happens later on earth or in heaven. So Jesus told her, this is a big statement here, and you should have this highlighted or written down. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even after dying. Is this flashing in the background? What, up here or these? One of the ones up there. So it's not just me. Okay. I don't care so much about that. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me uh, in that. All right, let me read it again. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. See? Even after dying. They will live even after dying. This is why every funeral I've officiated ended the way we thought, but I'm not the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I'm the beneficiary of that truth. You're the beneficiary of that truth. He goes on to say, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Lazarus believed in you. Lazarus loved you. We love you. We believe in you, and she's going to declare that in just a minute in a way better than the Pharisees understood. And, and now you're saying that you will never die. Do you believe this? See, we're, we're, we're lacking in our perspective. We don't understand the, the, the timing of things, and that's where faith comes in. And our per, per, uh, perception can often be wrong. Okay? How we look at things can be wrong. But God is always right, and we're going to get to that. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. He wasn't talking about now. He was talking about later. Do you believe this, Martha? And Martha makes this tremendous statement in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. The Pharisees didn't get that at all. They thought he came from below, right? They thought he was a blasphemer. And not the Son of God, but Martha, who was probably, I, I don't know this for a fact. Well, I can, can say for a fact she was less educated than the Pharisees. That we know for a fact. She didn't know the scriptures as well as the Pharisees or the religious leaders, but she knew Jesus. And she had heard enough of his word and seen enough of his wonderful works to know that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. What a statement to be made at this point. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that came into the world from God. So then Mary comes out to him, okay? And it's the same, same kind of a deal here. And simply, we'll just jump ahead. Jesus simply responds, where have they put him? And, and I, I like the, this. I almost picture Jesus, you know, rolling up the sleeve. It's time to get down to business here. And he tells them, roll the stone aside. And, and Martha still didn't get it in verse 39, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And in the beautiful poetic language of the King James Version, it says this, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. How many learned it like that? I did. He stinketh. Four days. Why? Because Jesus waited. Because he had a higher purpose. 
And Jesus was the Son of God. He knew what He was going to do, what God was going to do through Him. He knew what was going to happen. And time isn't the same with Jesus as it is with us. So Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. I love that. And then he's about to resurrect Lazarus. I love this thought of the simplicity of Jesus' prayer. And I want to make sure that you don't fall into and that we don't fall into the trap of I'm trying to say this politely as best as possible, but what happens is politeness is my goal and snarkiness comes out. But you'll understand this. You don't have to act like the prophets of Baal in order to get God's attention. You're his child and he loves you. I wonder about all the shenanigans that go on. It might be more about us than about him. And I saw this meme, and you, you, you might not get this because you've never experienced it, but I'm going to read it anyhow with my, I was going to say with my apologies. I don't apologize for anything. While I was, what Paul never wrote, okay, Paul never wrote this. While I was waiting in Athens, the idolatry in the city provoked my spirit. So identified the strong man over Athens, bound him, and released the spirit of truth into the atmosphere. And when Silas and Timothy arrived, they blew their shofars, which activated revival angels and consolidated the breakthrough. Paul never wrote that. We've had these things about binding and, and loosening, and I bind the spirit of the enemy and the uh, uh, territorial spirits and we bind them okay if we have the authority to do all of that then why isn't it working why in our township are people still addicted to drugs if we've bound the strong man why are people still dying why are people still stealing from one another why are terrible and horrible things happening all around us because Jesus never taught that, and Paul never taught that. He taught, here's how we're supposed to live. I mean, you can break down Paul's epistles very simply. The first half of his, the first part of each of his epistles is how you should believe and how you should behave. That's how it's broken down. I don't know where some of this stuff comes from. It's very sensational. But I wonder if sometimes we go through all of these shenanigans in order to get God to act when all we have to do is call out to him as father. And I wonder if what he really wants instead of us binding the strong man is to treat our spouses better. I, I, I'm wondering if what he really wants uh, in order to make a change in our communities is to love our wife and to train up our children in a way in which they should go. I, 
I mean, look at our communities, look at our county, state, and country, that we can pinpoint most of the problems that we're facing as a nation to broken families. Love you. We're not really shofar people here, but I'm going to make it point this way. You can blow the shofar all you want if you ain't treating your spouse properly. Save your air. And I guess, you know, there's services and they blow, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. My larger point is we don't have to act like the prophets of Baal to get God to respond. If I remember correctly, Elijah prayed about 62 words and brought fire down from heaven. Jesus prayed out loud so that they could hear, but he didn't go through all of these shenanigans that we go through. And you don't have to go through all of the shenanigans sometimes that you see in order for God to hear you. Here's why God hears you. Because he loves you and you're his child. And you're his child because of what his son did for you. When my children call and we communicate often, thank God, through technology, we stop everything else and we listen because we want to hear what's going on in their life. And I think we can have that with God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I do know the rest of it. I'm just not going to quote it because you're all wondering if I could do it. And I'm actually wondering if I could do it. So, but I got that part and I'll stop. I'll stop there. Anyway, here's this simple prayer that Jesus prayed. You can pray simply to God and he responds because he loves you as a child. All right. Then he shouted. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out with his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. You see it, right? Dora and I were talking about this this week. We're like, he was in heaven, right? I'm thinking. I'm thinking he was in heaven. And he didn't want that call back to earth. That's, that's how I would be. Wait a second. Oh, yeah, no, they need you back on earth. Oh. But he had to listen. Why? Because Jesus called him out. And he came. Because he had no choice. Because Jesus is the Son of God. When the Son of God speaks, we obey. And then verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Why did Jesus wait four days so that Lazarus would be dead, dead, so that this would be a miracle that no one could explain away, so that many people would believe in Jesus. That's why. Why did, God, why did Jesus do it now? Because he wanted to do it now. Why does he wait sometimes? Because he wants to wait. All right, I'm going to get to that. All right. Lessons to learn. Lessons to learn. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people alive. Okay, that's big. Okay, the gospel is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The gospel is we can't save ourselves because we're too dead in our trespasses and sins. 
that we need someone to, the term would be, regenerate us, to bring new life into us. But in our purposes today, it's, we need someone to give us life because we're dead. We're not good people. Maybe you've heard, heard this or maybe you've said this. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's the wrong statement because there's no one that's good. The only one that was ever good was Jesus and they crucified him. We might say, why do bad things happen to godly people? And I'm not even so sure how godly we are sometimes. Bad things happen because we live in a bad world and the devil is bad. That's why things happen. But Jesus didn't come to make uh, good people better or bad people good. He came to give life to those that were dead. And in court we would say Lazarus was exhibit A. And here's proof that Jesus can do this. Number two, the miracle doesn't just foreshadow Jesus' own resurrection, which was going to come, which was the ultimate miracle, the ultimate sign that Jesus is who he says he is. But it also foreshadows ours, that someday, someday, we will live forever because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Lazarus' story foreshadows ours. I was preaching a funeral several years ago for a man that wasn't part of the church. Um, they were loosely uh, connected to the church, but he wanted to talk with me, which I was happy to, and I prayed the whole way there, Lord, just give me opportunity. This sounds like, if, you're, if you've been in this situation, you'll get it a little bit more. But I always pray that when I'm going in to meet with someone and I want, they need to know the Lord, I always pray there's no one else there. And here's why. Because everyone else becomes a distraction. Unless they're open to what God wants to receive, they become a distraction. That's anyway the way I've experienced it. When there's a whole lot of people around, nothing really gets accomplished. You, you say what you have to say and you do that. But, but the, every time that I've experienced people getting saved in the hospital, it's been just them and I and God. Not because of me, but I'm just saying there were no other distractions and we could just talk. We can just say. So anyway, I get a call, and I'm happy to go, go meet with him. He was a younger man that was dying of, of cancer, and uh, ultimately he passed, and I preached his funeral, and I said this, what's the point of this story? Does Jesus call everyone out of the grave the way he did Lazarus? Of course not. This was a foreshadowing of an even greater miracle, Jesus' own resurrection. Jesus died on the cross for our sins in our place. He was placed in a tomb. Three days later, when they came to see him, the stone was rolled away. Sound familiar? He wasn't there. He had risen and had conquered the most feared word in the human language, death. No one could defeat death all will one day die, but there is one who conquered death, and his name is Jesus. You talk about a privilege to be able to share that with a group of people. Did I have all the answers why this man got cancer? I don't. Why did he die at this particular time? I don't. But I always point people to what we do know, and that's this. Jesus died and rose again, and that we can live forever even after we die. He rose to give you life. He rose to give us an abundant life on earth. He rose to give us eternal life in heaven with him. So number one, 
Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to bring life to dead people. The miracle doesn't just foreshadow his resurrection, but ours as well. Number three, write this one down. It's not God's fault. Okay, let's say that one out loud. It's not God's fault. Haven't we all asked these questions at different times in our lives? Certainly, when we see a friend or family member in pain, we pray for healing, but healing doesn't come in time, or does it? This is back to that funeral sermon I preached. And I preached on the resurrection and the life, and here's what I said. Jesus came at the exact time he wanted to because he wanted to show them a greater miracle than just overcoming disease. He wanted to show them that he could overcome death. It's not God's fault. It's not Jesus' fault, no matter what Martha proclaimed. It's not God's fault, and here's why. It can't be God's fault. If it's God's fault, then he's not God. Now, if I went around here and asked you the problems you're going through and the difficulties you're facing, is it God's fault? You would all say, no, 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 it's not God's fault. You would say that out loud, but I wonder if we live that. I wonder if sometimes this, this break in relationship that we have with God is because if we boiled it down, we blame God. Why didn't you, God, or why did you allow whatever it is? And I'm not minimizing the pain here because the pain is real. What I'm saying is it's not God's fault. And if you continue to blame God for these things in your life, you're never going to experience him in the way that he wants you to experience him. Can you still go to heaven if you have doubts? Absolutely. But will you miss a little bit of heaven on earth? If you don't reconcile some of these things, absolutely. Because what he has for you is peace. His peace for you that you haven't been able to muster on your own. And I wonder if at the root of that is sometimes we wonder if it's God's fault. God, if you had. It can't be God's fault because he's God. If you're placing blame on God as a lifestyle, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You are declaring that you're greater than God because now you're the judge of God instead of the opposite way around. And I'm just getting down to the brass tacks here because we, we just need to hear it straight. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about the emotion of the moment. I'm talking about the long-term choice that matters. In the emotion of the moment, we all have doubts, fears, wonders, and questions. I get that. But there's a difference between the emotion of the moment when, let's say, a tragedy happens or 10 years later you still don't believe in God and you've decided to reject God because of what you can't understand. That's a problem. That's a problem. See? It's not God's fault. Now, you don't have to say it out loud again, but can you say it in your quiet time when it's just you and God and you're being real? God, help me, because I'm thinking it's your fault. Help me to deal with that. Give me the faith to believe. Help me, Lord, through it. Okay. Number four. This is the last one. Are you ready? A couple people. Good. God's time 
is the right time. It has to be, because he's God. But <laughs> God's time is the right time. That's faith. Faith doesn't understand it. Faith can't prove it or else it wouldn't be faith. Faith says, God, I, I really want it to be now. And I'm going to pray that you would do it now. But I'm still going to trust you, even if you say later. You've heard this before, but maybe I need to share it. Maybe some haven't heard it before. God always answers our prayers. Every single prayer we pray, he answers. It's yes, no, or later. Or not now, let's say. It's yes, no, or later. But he always answers prayers. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean that God's not answering the prayers. God's time is the right time. And if healing comes in heaven... That was the right time. If healing comes on earth, then that was the right time. What are you waiting for in your life? Physical healing, spiritual healing, financial healing, emotional healing, family healing, job healing, whatever the situation is. Pray. Pray with passion, persistence, but pray to your heavenly Father with an understanding that he loves you. I'll tell you this other funeral story. I was, lady in my church, they, uh, the church that we planted before we came here, they were one of the first couples ever to come uh, to the church, ever to sign up to leave the well-established church with a great, great pastor and to go help plant this church in a new area with a 26-year-old kid. They were one of the first ones to sign up. They had no idea that I had no idea. You know, all these years later, I'd hate to break it to you. I still have no idea. Uh, but anyway, they had no idea, and they became just such good friends of ours. And uh, I actually, when the church couldn't pay me, I worked for them uh, for a time. And uh, she passed away. Her name was uh, Elena. And she was Italian, but he was Greek. But it was okay because the Italian overwhelmed the Greek part of her and she still cooked like an Italian so it was all good it was all good and uh, she passed away and they were attending they had moved and were attending a different church but they asked me to come and share and I came and I don't remember what I shared as much as what I heard her one son stood up who was a psychologist very very successful very very brilliant in Chicago and he said, one thing my brother and I always knew is that we were loved. And I thought to myself, oh, how your practice would be different if the people you're helping knew that they were loved. And how all of our lives would be different if we knew we were loved. Can I tell you something? I'm so serious about this. God loves you. And whatever he does in your life, it's based on his love for you. And you might not understand it any more than the kid understands why they can't get candy every time they go to the grocery store. But you understand it's not good for them. 
right? They don't understand that because they're not at the level of being able to understand or know what a parent knows. Do you understand? Now, multiply that by infinity, and that's how God is. Where faith comes in is, God, I will trust you. Help me. Help me, Lord. But please know that whatever you're facing, whenever you go to him in prayer, he loves you completely with no strings attached. He can't love you more like if you, I'm sorry to show far uh, players, but he doesn't love you any more if you blow the shofar than he would if you didn't. He, he doesn't love you any more if you know all of the words to say in a glorious poetic prayer or if you just know that you need to, Jesus, I just need your help. He loves you completely. Here's the other thing, real quick, and I'm going to, because I want to get to communion, it ties in. He knew who you were going to be on this day and loved you before you got to this day. Do you understand that? So like, like he knew the stupid decisions you were going to make that got you to the place that you're at and he loves you still. Do you understand that? He loves you. I, I don't know how else to tell you that, but God the Father loves you. And if there's any breakthrough that we need in our lives, is this is what Paul actually wrote. He said, I, I, while he's in prison, he writes, I, here's my prayer for you. Not that all your problems would go away, not that everything would be perfect and peachy, but that you would understand how much God loves you. The height, the depth, the length, and the width of God's love. And Paul wrote that because he understood that no matter what they were facing as an Ephesian church, no matter what he was facing as a prisoner for Christ, that God loved him. And I want you to know today, God loves you. It's not his fault his time is the right time. And he offers eternal life to all those that believe because he died and he rose again. He's worthy to be praised. So what do we do while we're waiting? We worship and we work for him. We worship him and we work for him. We tell others about Jesus because his timing is always perfect because he's perfect. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.